Hello, everybody, and welcome to the seventh episode of Crossover, the crossover event you didn't know that you wanted. My name, as you can see right below, is Manderson, at Son of Mander on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and joining me as usual is... I'm Dan. Uh, you can find me at Danderson on Twitter and Instagram. Coming to you from very sunny Redding, California. It is a nice sunny day here in California, isn't it? Unlike uh, other parts yeah. of the country where it's negative something. So uh, anyway, we are a part of TCC Network. Um, if you go to thecapelesscrusaders.com, you can check everything out there, all of our other shows and everything else that we do, um, including uh, our sponsors, so some links to them, um, including Beard Balm Brush. If you go to beardbalmbrush.com, use the code CAPELESS, you can get 15% off your purchase. Um, and if you don't know what that is, uh, they take beeswax and they mix in with it um, beard oils and balms and make it into a brush that looks kind of like a Koopa shell. Um, and you just brush it through your beard. It makes it nice and soft and nourishes it and makes your beard happy. Um, our second sponsor is, of course, uh, Empire's Comics Vault, our home away from home, where you can find pugs, you can find hot sauce, you can also find, uh, of course, comics, um, located at 1120 Fulton Avenue, Sweet K. Um, head on in there and tell them that the, the Crusaders... Uh, sent you in to how to Ben. Uh, if you're not sure what you want to read, but you want to get in the comics, he's a great resource to get you in um, without uh, feeling like uh, super judged because he's a great guy. Um, anyway, that's uh, that's our that's our that's all the business. Uh, we're gonna jump into Round the Horn. Uh, if you're familiar with the show, we generally go um, as David likes to say, round a table, but we're not really at a round table. Um, in our main show, we share what we've been reading. Um, on this show, we share what we're looking forward to. Um, in my case, comics. In Dan's case, um, sports. And uh, we're going to let you kick it off. All right. Um, so for the next couple weeks, I got my eye on just a couple things. Uh, one is the Champions League is going to return starting on Tuesday, the February the 12th, um, with the start of knockout rounds here. So we're now down to the last 16 teams in the tournament. So it should be some good matches. The one I'm particularly interested in, I think it is the best matchup on this first, uh, first couple of days, it, but it also includes my team, Manchester United versus PSG Paris Saint-Germain from, from France, the best team in, in the French league. Oh, yeah. uh, that'll be Tuesday, the 12th at noon on TNT, but really the one, that I've been keeping my eye on ever since, I mean, I guess since August. <laughs> Super Bowl 53 is coming up. It's going to be on Sunday, uh, 3.30 on CBS. It's going to be the New England Patriots versus the Los Angeles Rams. As of right now, the Patriots are two and a half points to win this thing. Um, it's going to be held in Atlanta, Georgia, home of the Atlanta Falcons. Uh so I think it's going to be a really good close game. I do think that the Patriots are going to pull this out in the end. Just experience over uh, over the this is the ninth time that Brady and Belichick, this coaching matchup, has been there. Uh, for those of you maybe not into sports, Maroon Five's doing the halftime show. I don't know if that intrigues anybody. Gladys Knight is going to sing the national anthem, so you could pop in and hear that as well. But should be a really, I think. Tightly contested matchup. Uh, like I said, Patriots favored by two and a half. That seems just about right to me. Uh, I, I think they'll win it 31-28 if you, if you care. 
what I think. That's that's your that's your call. I, I for a long time uh, I used to send you a text or give you a call like right after the draft and ask you your top four picks for winning Super Bowl. Um, and I think all but one year you had the right pick. So uh, I've learned to go with your gut. But I may, as you can tell, I'm wearing uh, my Tom Brady jersey and my Patriots set, so I might be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit uh, skew on my uh, on my pick here. But there. yeah, I think I think the uh, the the stats are in in the favor of the Patriots, so I think I think that's a fair assessment there. Uh, so yeah, and they've they've won six now, right? Or five. So they, uh, five. Five. Okay, so this will be Which... their ninth. So they've only lost three Super Bowls together. That's not bad, I mean, considering how many times I've been there. Right. So, all right. Uh, well, I'm definitely watching the Super Bowl. Um, Dad uh, always puts together, like, this little list of different things. We score points and stuff like that. And it makes it a little bit more fun for those of us who, who are maybe invested in a specific team. Uh, so I'll be doing that. Uh, it, but uh, also... Um, I mean, I'm a Manchester United fan. Not like you and Dad are, but I, I love Man U. Um, and yep, and I don't pay attention to French soccer at all, but I know who PSG is, which means they're probably pretty legit. So I might, um, let's see, that's next Tuesday. I'll probably have to watch a replay because I'll be at work, but I'll still, I'll still try to catch that. Um, all right, so for, for comics uh, coming up, actually the two that I picked out are coming out this next week. The first one um, is Young Justice number two. That's a DC comic. Um, if uh, for those of you who pay attention to DC's animated stuff, um, they've had a Young Justice cartoon that's been going. Uh, they're in their third season currently, but it's also been a comic book. That's um, this is the third volume of it, I believe. Um, and so they just kicked off another session, and it's it's kind of like um, it's not like. When I initially encountered it, I was like, oh, this is like Teen Titans or like the, a younger version of the Justice League. And that's kind of what it is. It's a bunch of teenagers and stuff like that. Superboy's in it. Um, this version has uh, Impulse, who's like um, from the future, but he's a speedster like the Flash. Um, and a bunch of other characters, Wonder Girl's in it. Uh, so um, it, the, the first issue was really fun and kind of left like a little question mark, like where is this going to go? Um and it's, it's so far it's been pretty interesting uh and the second one i'm interested in is put up by image comics which um if you're not in the comic world they're the the biggest comic publisher outside of dc and marvel and pretty much anything they do um turns into gold it's, it's usually really good they could do a good job picking um different stuff to put out that people tend to enjoy a lot and does really well um, this one's called Die, uh, and the name kind of leaves a lot of, without seeing what it is, leaves a lot to, to guess, but um, the word die is referenced to the, um, the singular uh, word for dice, um, and it basically is about this group of people who go to play a tabletop game similar to Dungeons and Dragons, but not quite the same, and in a Jumanji-like fashion, they get sucked into the world. Um, time passes and they make it back a couple years later and we then pick up and they're adults now and one of them got left behind and he sucks them back in so now they're all adults with kids and families and lives and they got sucked back in and it's kind of now we're actually seeing the world because the first time we didn't um, and we're trying to figure out if the person who got left behind has gone crazy and is 
not evil or if he's just like this is a game we're playing a game together let's go have fun um so it's been uh pretty interesting and me being a dungeons and dragons and tabletop gaming nerd as well i've loved it interesting yeah i think young justice sounds really intriguing to me uh the um i'm intrigued by like stories like that the pre or i i don't know what they call that like the origin stories but it's not really that but like similar to that so that seems uh interesting to me although the other one did seem more interesting than i thought i was it was gonna be when you opened it up so <laughs> so maybe i would i'd take a peek at that but young justice out of those two would be the ones that i would be likely to look into yeah that's a solid one they're both pretty solid but yeah i think young justice is a good one too um, all right, so uh, on to the main topic. You picked out uh, the Australian Open uh, final uh, for me to watch, and um, I'm not, I don't watch a lot of tennis. Uh, I, I took lessons one summer when we were kids, I think, um, but I never got very good at it. So um, why don't you give us a, a history or what's the importance of the Australian Open um, that it would be something that we would be interested in. So the Australian Open is the basically the second week of the year. Um, it's the first Grand Slam event, so the basically the first big tournament. So if you're not familiar with tennis, they have four Grand Slam events um, throughout the year, similar to golf. They have four majors, um, but tennis has the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. So this is. Uh, very significant because it's one of the one of the major things. And for uh, when they're calculating legacies of of these great tennis players, the number of Grand Slam events that you win it goes a long way in saying who's better and than others. So um, so yeah, Australian Open um, basically it's a nice little break because down there it's summer. They had a couple matches this year. They were playing at like, 107 degrees down there, so it's really warm down there it's nice to get some good tennis and it's all cold up on where the, the rest of the grand slam events are are being usually being held so um that's the main significance um they started these grand slams in the late 60s so some of the early earlier tennis players don't have the grand slam numbers because they weren't around um since 60 i believe is 1968 was the when they started the open era uh it's been a huge benchmark on the greatness of, of tennis players. So pretty significant tournament. I would say of the four Grand Slams, it's probably the number three most coveted one to win. But I mean, they're all, if you can get one, it's great. But I would say probably Wimbledon would be the number one that people would want to win. Yeah, that, that's the one that everybody's heard of, or anybody who's heard of tennis has heard of at least right. it's probably the, it's the, the most famous one yeah for sure so that that's the significance really significant and what we got a what on paper appeared to be a great match so if you were not following along we had novak djokovic who's the number one ranked player in the world currently versus the number two ranked player in the world uh rafael nadal um and they actually are the number two and number three on the list of most grand slams ever so two of the great of the great tennis players of this generation um, and of all time, for sure. Um, Nadal's up there in that category. Djokovic is starting to creep up that list, I think, as well. So on paper, we have two of the most 
uh, exciting players in the sport. They're both aging a little bit, but still, I expected a, a pretty good good match here. Um, so yeah, um, these guys actually play. So for those, I, I have to stick his name in there because he's my fe- favorite. Federer has won the most Grand Slams. He's got 20. Rafael Nadal has 17. Novak, who won this match, is now up to 15. Um, so those are the top three ever. So we got two of the top three. And Novak and Rafa, so this matchup is actually the most common tennis match played between two men's players in the open air. This is the 53rd meeting between the two with Novak now winning 28 to Nadal's 25. Um, and these play, like, so we've mentioned Federer, Nadal, and Rafa. The number two on the list for most played is uh, Novak and Federer. They've played 48 times, and Federer and Nadal are number three. They played 38 times together. So, as you can tell, these guys have been good for a long time, and they always play each other a lot because they always go deep into tournaments. So, like I said, two really good players that should have been on paper a little bit more competitive than I think uh, than I think we got. Yeah, so um, I was surprised not to see Federer because he's the name that I hear hear the most. Um, how far into the tournament did he make it? So he got knocked out in the round of sixteen. Um, Somewhat unexpected, unexpectedly, I, I mean, I certainly was disappointed and surprised. There's this, uh, so he lost to this up-and-coming Greek tennis player, uh, Stefanos Sissibides, um, who he's been making some waves in the in the tennis world for some time, or for the last couple of years. Um, people think he's going to be the next great thing. I've never really seen him play that in depth, but I watch every point that Federer plays, so I was really locked into watching this match and based on his performance in this match i think he's going to be good for some time so he's only 20 years old but he's at, he's already ranked 12th in the world um which is quite quite good and usually you see so Federer they lost Federer lost in four sets and he took the first set and usually Federer took the first set usually after that you see They'll come out strong and then they get mentally broken down because they're like oh Federer he's the greatest of all time he's won this tournament more times than so like usually see them break down mentally but this kid just seemed to shake it off so i was really impressed not only by his play obviously he played great um but the mentality that he had of just like oh i lost a set no worries i'll go win the next three which he which he did i think um federer didn't play poorly by any stretch of the imagination i don't think maybe it was the best match he could have played uh, but this guy stefano really stepped up and played well so and then he ended up losing to Nadal in the semifinal uh so that's how far he got so Federer I was hoping for a Federer Nadal semifinal and then but Federer went out a little bit early um earlier than I would have hoped but so that's what happened to him not not the happiest day of my life but like I said the kid played great and deserved what he was the better player okay well that is that's disappointing. I, like I said, I don't watch tennis, but him being the name that I, I hear the most, probably the guy that I would end up cheering for. Um, I did in this one end up going for um, Djokovic over Nadal, um, just because he was he was the player I wasn't familiar with. I felt like just because of that in my head, he was a little bit of an underdog, um, and it seemed like in some of the stats they were throwing up uh, between the two of them. They're head-to-head. Um, Nadal has won the most. However, if I re- remember correctly, 
uh, Djokovic has won the most in um, made in the uh, in the the, the uh, what the, the big right. these big tournaments. Yeah, so actually, Nadal's won twenty eight to Novak or to Nadal's twenty five head to head. So um, they're pretty close, and I'm very torn uh, with with this match when I was watching because as a Federer fan, uh, I want Federer to have the number one time grand slam. So he's at twenty. If Nadal would have won, it would have brought him to eighteen. And Nadal's favorite, he's the best clay player clay court tennis player ever and they play the French Open the next tournament is on clay he's won that 10 times in his career uh, so 17 of his or 10 of his 17 events he has won so I, I thought I'm thinking okay if he wins the Australian that puts him at 18 good chance he's gonna the French again that puts him at 19 now he's only one one behind so I'm, I typically don't like Novak I think he's carried himself a little bit poorly when he was younger in his career so I think in my head he's built uh I built him up as like a villain, so I don't like to root for him, but I was kind of rooting for him because he's farther behind in the Grand Slam total list. Um, and Nadal and Federer, for as head-to-head of competitive they've been throughout the career, they really respect each other. And like, if I wasn't a fan of Federer, I'd definitely be a fan of Nadal. Very classy player um, in everything he's done. He's had some injury issues and in in, has held him back a little bit. Um, from winning, I think, a little bit more than he could have. But both, I mean, both outstanding players. I was torn, like I said, either way. I guess I was kind of happy that Novak ended up winning, but not too happy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to apologize to the, the crowd. My daughter is uh, wandering beneath my feet, so you're going to hear her babbling and some of her toys going off. But It happens. That's, that's all right, yeah. It'll be like a, a little bit of an element of, uh, Sunday coffee because his kids are always in the background too. Um, okay, so I had a question about um, like the game format because um, I noticed they played um, there was like I, I guess like format and scoring I guess kind of go together. They played um, to 40 more or less and then there would be a point given and then they would move on to like another bracket Um What's like the formatting? Is there like names for each of those little rounds so, or whatever? So to, to win the match, you have to win. In most tennis tournaments, you have to win. It's a best of three, but at these Grand Slam events, it's the best of five. They make a play. You say so you have to win three sets um, to win the match. To win a set, you have to win six games. And to win a game, you have to win at least five points. So basically, if you're serving and you win a point, you get. It goes, it counts 15, 30, 40, and then if you win the next point and you're at 40, you get a you get a game, and then the next guy serves, and then first to six in that um, in that first set. So if it goes to six to six, then you go to a tie break, uh, and at that point it just becomes you win a point one, and then you have to win seven points to win the set, or and you have to win by two. So that will go on winning by two um so and the thought process behind that what is generally there's some debate on whether this is true but it makes the most sense to me when they first started playing tennis they had a clock and they just said okay we'll do they did each corner of the clock so 15 for one point 30 for another point and then they did 40 for the next point because um if you're tied 40 
40, you have to win the you have to the points by two. Say we're playing tennis and we're tied 40-40, they call that deuce. And you're serving and you win the point, they would say advantage Manderson. And then you have to win the next point when to win the game. If I win, it goes back to do. So basically, you have to end up winning two points in a row to, to win. So that's why they stopped at 40. That way, they could go like do player advantage back before you go all the way back to the top. Um, and then in the Grand Slam events, so you have the tiebreaker. So you'll see some, most of the sets you'll see are 6 2, 6 3, 6 4 uh, winners or something like that. Sometimes you'll see a 7-5 because it's, a player will break a player, which means you win a game that you're not serving. So basically speaking, you're supposed to win the the, um, the games you're serving. And, oh, hello, Ava. <laughs> um, so that they call it a break. So if you're serving to me and I win that game, it's called a break of serve, um, which usually is, gives you the advantage in the set. And then... Once you get to the fifth set, there, that's where we have the discrepancy. It used to be no tie breaks. It would just be you would play till the end of time, um, which we saw in Wimbledon a few years ago. We saw a match go 70-68, and it took them three days to play this one tennis match. Uh, but now because of – it doesn't happen too often, but because of weird things like that, it really throws off the entire tournament because you're waiting for – basically speaking, this, this happened in round two – the guy was waiting for three days that had already won, so it kind of throws everything up. But so at the Australian Open, once it gets to six six, they call it what they call a super tie break, um, and that actually just started this year. The first to ten wins the set. The French Open, they still have no tie break, so they have chances to um, to have a lot. At Wimbledon, starting this year, they have a tie break at twelve to twelve. Twelve twelve, they'll do a tie break, and at the U.S. Open, Tie break so at six six they have a tie break versus seven. Um, it's not as I feel like I just made it complicated. If you watch it, it's fairly easy to understand. But there's just some of the, like the thirty fifteen kind of throws you off because you're like, wait, he just won one one point. Why does he get fifteen? Uh, oh no! Uh, so that's generally generally how it works. And then at the and a single elimination at these Grand Slam events. So you start with a giant field, and then they whittle their way down into until you have one win. So over the two weeks. Hopefully that was kind of uh, informative there. Yeah, it gives uh, some background on how things are formed. There she is. All right, hold on. All right. Uh, I can't bang the spoon on the table. On audio, this is going to be like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> um, oh, okay. See Uncle Dan? Yeah. Hello, Eva. Um, she's probably upset that Federer didn't make it as well. That's, yeah, that's why she's upset. She's a big Federer fan. This is that Federer hat that Uncle Dan wears, and that's it. Um, all right, so um, I noticed that there were challenges in this as well, um, but they seem to go pretty quick. Now... Are those challenges that the players themselves issue, um, or are they challenges made by? Are they are they just issued by the, the the ref or the official or whatever? So all challenges are instigated from the players, uh, 
And so basically the rule is every set, each player gets three, um, three challenges. However, if you're correct, you get to keep it. So if you keep getting it right, in theory, you can challenge every single point if you keep getting it right. Um, and then if it goes into a tiebreaker, like we just discussed, um, you get one additional. So if you run out of one and you a tiebreaker, tie they'll get you one challenge back. Um, that is a system called Hawkeye that is basically a series of cameras throughout the, um, throughout the stadium that has, is tracking the ball and the lines. And then, so if you, if you haven't seen it, basically it shows like a computer graphic of a ball coming down and landing on the line. And you can see the spot if it's touching the line or not, if it's in or out. Um, that started in 2005 ish. It was, there was really some pushback to it because it's not, totally accurate i guess the it's like within three millimeters but it's been widely embraced now because a player thinks hey that should have been in but you at least get a chance to say see if it was in or not um so that's how the challenge system works it's pretty i think it's pretty cool the fans into it they use that at three of the four um grand slam events and it's been widely accepted now throughout 10 and the only reason it's not used at the french open is because it's on clay and you can actually see where the ball the ball hits. So sometimes they do have a challenge system there, but it's not very well. Because most of the time you can see it. And if a player goes, hey, look at that, the chair umpire will actually come run and point to the spot on the mark and tell the other player, hey, that was in or out. So he'll actually run down from his chair and point at the mark. So that's the only reason it doesn't get used there. So you got to be in better shape to be uh, an official <laughs> at the, the French Open, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned already that um, this is the best of five. So theoretically, you could go to um, five sets, right? It could have, yeah. It could have. And, but this one only went to three. Um, I was surprised at how quickly um, this game ended. Yeah, I was shocked as well. Um, it, I believe it was 6-3, 2 6-3. Jack took all three of them with fairly pretty easily. And that's the weird thing about tennis. Like, this one was a little bit more of a blowout than I expected, but I've seen matches where it's been, it can go like 7 6, 7 6, 7 6, really hot, top, uh, tightly contested. A guy will win. I was a little surprised Nadal didn't show up more. Usually, he digs a little bit deeper when he drops the first set there, but. Novak, I thought Novak just outstanding tennis. So, yeah, I, I was a little bit shocked. I wasn't shocked that Novak, I was shocked in the way that, the way that, um, but Nadal, like I said, has been injury prone. He's become an Offman injury, um, but he didn't show any signs of that. And he would never use that as an excuse himself um, either. So, yeah, <laughs> I feel bad because I thought this was going to be a of a thing to talk about, but um, not so much. It was pretty. Uh, Nadal wasn't as good. Which steamrolled got his yeah. titles. It was still. I, I still enjoyed watching it, um, and I was um, again very surprised that at the the level of play that um, Nadal was at because it, it. I feel like he's generally a lot better. Um, yeah. Ava is voicing her agreement that Nadal's generally better. Um, yeah. 
when you were earlier mentioning that he's um, had a lot of injuries in his career, I was kind of wondering if that was impacting this a little bit, but um, he didn't play may, like he was injured. Yeah, it may have been, because generally speaking, his style of play, he's a very aggressive runner, faces down every ball, but is big pull on his And for those of you who are unaware of four Grand Slams, this one is played on hard court. There's one, he is great. He's one French on clay, which you can slide into things. It's a lot easier. Wimbledon's played on grass, which is easier. So a lot of times he's coming to this and hurt himself. So I don't know if maybe somewhere mentally he was thinking, I'm not going to chase down that ball or go quite as aggressively with that ball through my whole season. I mean, like I said, I, he would never use that as an excuse. No, Novak, I think was just was just there, but maybe there was something said. I just got to get to clay court season because that's what he'll play. Yeah, and that seems smart. If this is the very first one that he he made it into the final, got second place, it's not a bad showing at all. Um, and knowing yeah. that he's got uh, some courts that'll be a little bit easier on his body and. Um, you mentioned uh, that the, the French Open is the one that he's won the most of his uh, Grand Slams out of. So he's probably, I could see that being in his mind, even if it wasn't like the forefront, like I just got to get to that because that's, that's my tournament. That'll get me, that'll get me going. He's, he will certainly be the favorite to win there in May. Um, yeah, so actually Novak has won the most Australian Opens. He broke a tie. He was tied with Federer. Novak has won. Seven French, I mean Australian Opens. Nadal is the king of clay. Ten of Federer is the king. Opens, including uh, five in a row. They all kind of have the surface there. Although Federer is Federer is the biggest on clay. He's only won one. Partially that is because Nadal wins them all the time. I think he's second best clay court player of all time, Federer. But he just always runs up against Nadal. One time he. He didn't have to play Nadal because Nadal went out earlier than, way earlier than expected. And like, here's my French Open. <laughs> and so he won. He's only won one there of his 20, um, which is a little bit. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty low number. Um, that's another point. Oh, I was, as I was watching the game, um, and as I mentioned pre in previous episodes, I've been, uh, I'm a big fan of seeing how players and teams strategize and sometimes games don't look like they do that and this, was, this is when initially I'm like well they're just reacting to whatever's happening there's not initially a strategy except for maybe up the serve we're gonna place it if you're gonna how you hit it if that spins or whatever but I feel like uh, that perception was incorrect um, there's a few moments where it seemed like they would charge the, the net a little bit to, or even back off to, to get themselves in position um, is that that seems to be probably more accurate than it's just there's, there's a lot more strategy a lot of people realize that based on see it where to serve especially no novak famously one of the best returners of serve so you have to be very careful make mistake he'll punish you for it almost immediately there's a lot of shot taking like like you said that as opposed to staying back. A lot of that is you're just trying to break up rhythm. You don't want to become so predictable that you just know, oh, he hit it here. That means I hit a winner down the line. So you want to 
there's a lot of mind games going on that, that and it depends on the opponent you're playing. Some players are better with their forehand try to hit it to the opposite side so they have to return with their weaker hand or maybe vice versa, you hit it to their forehand or you're just trying to, you're trying to make them move as possible, keep them off. A lot of times, like sometimes the most when you have like a high lob hit back and a guy's for a smash, I'm going to go to the side or I'm going to go to the side because there's always that split second where the guy's thinking, where should I hit this? And then a goalkeeper at soccer takes a, a guess and will run to one side and sometimes you hit it back, sometimes you don't. So there's a lot more like what you hit it with a flat slice of but I, when I first started getting into tennis, I thought a similar thing. It was like, oh, you just keep hitting it until the other guy hits it out or hits it into the net. Um, as more of a watch of you, how much more that, that level is pretty spectacular, especially with these two players that we that we watch. Is there uh, anything else with the matchup or the tournament that uh, is is worthy of sharing? I don't have any other questions. I was like I said, I was I was shocked at how fast it was, which I think made the discussion today a little bit shorter than it could have been because there was. It's just pretty one-sided. Yeah, nothing really that stuck out uh, to me. Like I said, a little disappointed about how how it went, but I thought like we we got some good. It's always interesting over the two weeks of the tournament, um, just seeing how storylines play out. Um, and it seems like some of the young players, uh, like uh, Stefano, kid that took out Federer, is really or there's uh, so. Maybe we're starting to see the future, uh, the future come out a little bit. So, I, and I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, French and Wimbledon as we get get down there. I'll definitely make you watch at least Federer play on grass one time before uh, he retires. He's in tennis years. He's ancient uh, as the, he's only 37, but for tennis to be ranked number three in the world like he is now um, is pretty remarkable. So, we'll I'll make you watch him play on grass as an assignment when we get there in June. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Um, okay. So um, that's going to pretty much wrap it up. As for um, our next assignments, um, I was a little uh, unprepared. Um, so I'll have something for you. It'll be a surprise for the fans oh, and yeah. for you. Um, but it's it's going to be something good. Uh, I promise. I have a couple things in the back of my head. Uh, and they're all really good. I just got to nail down which one I want to go with next. Oh. Um, and then we, uh, we might be, we're, we'll see if it, our schedules work out and obviously we have kids and so that sometimes make it hard to get schedules together, but, um, we might do a special Super Bowl episode. So if we do that, stay tuned, uh, for that as well. Um, so thank you for joining us. Uh, a couple of plugs on Sunday mornings at 8.30 AM, you can join uh, join us for a Sunday coffee with the Azorian one, where much like this adorable little one here is babbling and making noises, you will hear um, the Azorian one's kids in the background as they eat breakfast and watch Marvel cartoons in the background. Um, and he drinks coffee and talks about whatever he wants to. Um, the Dame Patrol uh, just dropped an episode this, uh, this past week um, about uh, covering anime. If so, if you're a comic lover, um, and you've 
not gotten into anime, some things for you to jump into. Um, all really interesting stuff, and they'll be dropping another episode next week as well. Um, and then our flagship show, The Capeless Crusaders. Um, we've taken a couple weeks off. We're coming back um, this coming Monday. We're going to be talking about uh, Batman The Court of Owls, which is the volume one of The New 52. That was one I was going to have us do, but um, we uh, we decided to, to pop it into the main show. And maybe we'll read it at some point in a, you know, a little bit, let some time pass. Um, thanks once again to our sponsors, Beard Bomb Brush. Go to beardbombbrush.com, put in the code CAPELESS to get 15% off. And of course, Empire's Comics Vaults, located at 1120 Fulton Avenue, Sweet K, here in Sacramento. Uh, go on in, pet a pug, buy some hot sauce and comics, and uh, if you like like the vibe down there and join the Savers Club, there's always special events um, that you can go to and a lot of fun happenings around that shop. Um, once again, you can catch all of the things uh, TCC related at thecampuscrusaders.com. My name is Manderson at Mander on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Dan. You can find me at Danderson11 on Twitter as well. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys, and we will see you soon. Later.